The year is 1992. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Welcome to My Marvelous Year, the comic book reading club where we're going through the best of Marvel comics from its origins to today. I'm Zach, the comic book journeyman, and I am joined by a... Oh, didn't have one of these right. Uh, I'm joined by... <laughs> let's see. I love it when you request to do the with... intro and then are, and then are completely flummoxed. <laughs> mm. I'm joined by a man who is about to uh, smash a baby with... Both his fists. Dave Busey. <laughs> Isn't that what childbirth is like? You kind Audible of head nod. Audible head mm-hmm. nod in the wrong direction. <laughs> that would be a no. Audible head shake. Audible head shake. <laughs> yeah, shake. That would be a shake. No, no. I, don't ha- I don't have anything. Uh, today, we're talking about a lot of X-Men and X-Men adjacent comics. It um, is true. It is true. I've been yeah, brought yeah, in. Yeah. I've been so, brought in. Uh, pre-paternity leave here is kind of the time here. We're recording this in June 2021. If you if you heard like yeah. on a variant probably previously that I was like, "Hey, I'm gonna be gone for a while. I'm back. Mm-hmm. Sorry." And but then I he's gonna leave in. again. But then I'm gonna leave <laughs> yeah, again. Right. And we were brought in to yeah. talk a whole bunch of X Men comics. Yeah, this is my Marvel this year. The uh, the reading club where we go through the history of Marvel comics from its origins to today. I we're said on 1992. Okay, and right. did you? I did. I got that it part goes, right. I know I did. that part goes that one, part ear, is, one in ear and out the that, other. Yeah, you know? I know. You've done that a bunch of times, but I totally understand because it is like it, I'm it, significantly it more focused so, on what comes after for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. So like <laughs> this is a this is our second batch of X Men out of three for '92. This is the lead in to Executioner Song. It's a big event we're gonna be covering that's, next. week. That's the one you want to live. That is definitely that you want to <laughs> tell a friend. <laughs> With, Go get like get those downloads up, baby. Have you talked about how we have ads now and how we have to get our downloads up? Have we have we promoted that? Uh, yet? no, no, I don't think we we may. You know, the timeline is really just like in X Men comics. The timeline good, the is really wonky analogy. for when we record and when we uh, when these episodes come out. But yeah, I think there'll yeah, still yeah. be an ad in this one. So we probably um, have a, a sponsor, an ad in this in this recording, which means the more listeners we get, the more we prove our worth as your my marvelous your host. So. If you have um, a friend or several friends, even mm-hmm. and and it, first off, I would like some pointers on how you accumulated more than one <laughs> because that is a challenge I've had. Um, but definitely, I uh, definitely would recommend I'm, that you I'm share it. the I'm executioner's the yeah. song. Right? No, that's why that's why I keep having you as a guest. You're the only person I know, um, <laughs> which is which is great. I wouldn't have it any other way. But uh, yeah, today we're going to be talking Uncanny X Men. We're going to be talking X Men Alpha Flight, and then. I won't even say what it is. It's a Patreon special recommendation, a secret. Keep it secret till the end. Yeah. You got to stick around uh, for that. Before we get into that, if you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com, get all kinds of cool benefits, access to the master spreadsheet, access to our Slack channel, early access to episodes, all kinds of cool stuff. iTunes reviews are always, uh, always appreciated. Um, I think that's it. For... They're not, they're not just appreciated. They are mandatory. I, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and make mm-hmm. that change. Yeah. They we they used to be appreciated. I will say while I am out on paternity leave, mm-hmm. iTunes ratings and reviews are mandatory. I would love 
uh, to hear, and by love to hear, I mean I demand to hear feedback on how the show is going on in my absence, what you think of the guests, what you think of the content, and um, you know, you know, just be like general general feelings about how much you miss me. Right? You don't have to you don't have to overshare, <laughs> but just general thoughts on how much you miss me. We, well, okay. I've already recorded one of those uh, one of those paternity leave episodes that went quite well, I think. So uh, people have already heard that. God, this is confusing the uh, the timeline. Just like X Men comics. Okay, oh, so X Men. We're we're talking Uncanny X-Men and X-Men. It is the post-Claremont era, the decidedly post-Claremont era for both of these mainline decidedly. X-Men series now. Yep. Uh, it is largely a Jim Lee-led affair, although mm-hmm. these are some, like, very... I, there's a lot of collaboration happening with these comics, right? Like, they're oftentimes just in writing and penciling, there'll be, like, four or five different men working on these comics. Um, mm-hmm. But Jim Lee, I think, is the common denominator. Maybe Scott Lobdell helping with scripts here, and and Will's Dave, what do you... across on Kenny actually, yeah. throughout this yeah. uh, throughout yeah, this for sure. Stick around after this. All right, so Dave, my question for you. Yeah, it is. It is a brave new era for X Men. It's a new era. Jim, I I think Jim Lee is definitely like he he's carry. It's it's less different than I would have thought it's going to be, except maybe like stylistically, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. the, the artwork, but we've seen that like Claremont had these new artists. So, so what do you think about like this, this new era as far as X-Men? Like, does this excite you the same way that Claremont's X-Men was, you know, when he's bringing in new ideas? Cause we're, we're getting a lot of new, like big new ideas that are going to stick around for a while, like Bishop, Omega Red, etc. I, I actually do think so historically, no, like this for me, I think both you and I were too young to have actually been caught up in the in the comics energy of this, you know, yeah, we, like we were five or six yeah. babies. Um, yeah. But but so much of what happens here in terms of really a, a heavily Jim Lee, because Jim Lee's involved in the plot on like everything, like even in books he's not writing or drawing there, he often is getting a plotting credit. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's very much his baby, but it's only his baby for like half of this year. And then the Grand Image Comics exodus officially is upon us by the end of 1992, and he's out, right? And then Marvel has to figure out, uh, hey, what do we do? <laughs> we just lost, like, our entire, you know, the head of X. We just lost everybody driving the train. But what is, what's amazing to me about this era is there is definitely a creative energy that Protasio, that Lee, um, even that Lobdell is bringing to it, and it very much shapes a lot of what I think about when I think about X-Men, um, mm-hmm. including stuff like, you know, the X-Men animated series that launched this same year, that launched in yeah, 1992. Sure. Like, the plots and the style of the characters, right down to the designs, so much of that is from what's happening right here. You know, it would be like, and I won't spoil anything, but it would be like if Disney Plus whatever launched a new X-Men animated series and it was straight from the pages of Jonathan Hickman's X-Men, right? The thing that's actually coming out in comics, that's what the show was. So when I grew up thinking about X-Men, I was I was thinking about Jim Lee's X-Men, you know? Like even even though there was a lot of Claremont in there, they're adapting a lot of those storylines as well. The design mm-hmm. and kind of the feel of the characters was often Jim Lee. So to sum it up, big picture, I don't think anything we read in here is as good as the really good Claremont and Cockrum or Claremont and Byrne sure. or Claremont and whoever, sure, sure. right? But mm-hmm. I do think there's there's a needed resurgence and there's a needed exploration of new ideas. And this, this gets on the right track and it kind of makes me lament 
like like not that image shouldn't have been founded <laughs> like i think mm-hmm. that sure. that inarguable that image is a good thing for comics because it got more oh i mean what's what's more popular than praising image like this month specifically dave <laughs> <laughs> in, in the wake that, of their warren ellis debacle i don't think it, right yeah. no they still make they still make mistakes but just no, like the big no, two no. do and no, they make they big do, bad ones and they should be criticized for it but but, but overall I'm, i i think they're a, a net positive for the comic landscape by for comics I mean, creators it's a huge yeah, net positive sure. absolutely yeah. so and just so, for variety of uh comic popular comics on the shelf yeah yeah for sure and so jim yeah. lee going and doing that made a lot of sense then and it makes a lot of sense now um but a part of me laments like i think he would have had a really interesting x-men run if it had extended where it was truly mm-hmm. his train to drive, you know, because he's and that's the thing, too, that I think a lot of people forget, including myself, is Jim Lee, even Wells Portacio, they were plotting X-Men comics with Claremont around. Like, that's the thing that we've been talking about over the past couple yeah. of years is Claremont's exit isn't like he's like he's losing control as as it gets to the exit point of X-Men number three. You know, like he's not shaping things quite the way he was jim lee already had been doing that so so the jim lee era is actually longer than just you know the launch of x-men number one which oftentimes it can get reduced to uh Mm -hmm. but you know when you read these comics it's like there's a lot of big interesting ideas that have really stuck in the cultural consciousness of what an x-men story is i think in large part due to to the animated series um what what was your reaction to reading these because like this is your introduction to bishop as a character this is your introduction Mm -hmm. to probably omega red right a lot of these sure yeah yeah, a lot of these concepts and and things that are very '90s but have stuck around. Um, what what was your kind of big picture take on this era? Uh, well, I mean, on the era, I think like too much of it is tainted by Rob Liefeld, like my conception of what this era is, right? Like too much of it is thinking he's that not it's involved. All life, all, exactly, right? So like X Force, we've talked about. Yeah, it's kind of fun to look at the pictures, but like ultimately, I think it's pretty juvenile and simplistic, right? Um, but this is also like feels like like '90s flavor, right? That I I can think of. But this is not what I think. Like this is better storytelling, better like character driven work than you know I I think I had in my head this would be um, from Jim Lee, especially the Uncanny X Men. I I have more criticisms of just the the plain X Men series, the, the Omega Red stuff. But the mm-hmm. uh, the couple issues we read that were focusing on Bishop, I think like really good, like yeah, really excelling in telling the story that they want to tell. It's very, it, it doesn't get bogged down in like too many plot lines. Like it feels like it, it, it just feels in really tight control of what it wants to do. And it's messing with like timeline shenanigans, <clears throat> which is, uh, you know, like notoriously tough to not make a super confusing mess. There's a few little things here where like all of a sudden we switch into Bishop having like a dream sequence of his past, which is his future, our future. That is not, like, clearly telegraphed, and it took me a while to figure out, like, what was happening, and I don't think that was intentional, right? There's a few moments like that, but once I figured that out, like, more or less, I think this is a very good, engaging mystery, you know, built around this time travel thing. Um, yeah, I, I think all this this works pretty well. Omega Red, I'm a little less interested in. Um, I think that harkens back, th- those five issues of X-Men with Omega Red harkens back to the Claremont era for me of, like, there's a few too many, you know... Uh, spoons in the fire what what did we put in the fire uh boons what i don't remember like uh (laughs) don't you grant a boon like uh no no oh spoons in the fire that's just a waste of irons in the fire just getting real hot spoons it has too many irons i don't know why spoons was what i my brain went to yeah Um, no you're you're 
wife or housemates have to be so upset with you that they can never find <laughs> a chilled spoon. They're, they're all blind. sterilizing in the fire. <laughs> oh, they're sterile at least. There you go. Yeah, yeah. that's an upside. Yeah. So, yeah, the uh, that that one while I I kind of liked some of what was going on, um and, and it, it it's not like a total mess. It definitely had like a few too many characters. It kind of lost its sense of place in time. And well, well let's, let's get into each one specifically. I, I um, think you're right. I mean, I think X Men is very yeah. busy. But let, let's talk about Uncanny X Men. So I think you're right. Yeah. I think part of what helps. So these these issues were actually difficult to pick because the introduction of Bishop occurs over a spell of time. It really starts post Muir Island saga in X Men 282. This is this is actually very pertinent for people who uh, at, at this point. You, you haven't heard it, Dave, because we're recording in the future. Someone who uh, donated in June to record uh-huh. an episode with me, uh, Kyle, a.k.a. the Tar Hellion, asked to read Uncanny X-Men 281 through 286. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah, like, okay. So the Bishop's doing, Crossing saga that we're not, that we're not yeah, including so here. If you want the entire thing of that, you know, it's in it's open to the public, but it's in the Patreon feed probably at this point. Um, Sweet. We've recorded that. So. Sweet. No, there. I mean, I read all those leading into this. Um, they're... Yeah. They're interesting. The reason I chose, and it is kind of difficult. Um, the reason I chose 287 and 288 is because mm-hmm. it firmly cements the story of Bishop, who is the new character, whereas the build to that point is is a lot more about what Jim Lee and Wills Protasio are clearly trying to do in terms of long-term plotting for the X-Men mm-hmm. book with this new group of this collective of villains, essentially, called the Upstarts, okay? And we see some of that play into 287 and 288, you know, with Trevor Fitzroy, the time-traveling nemesis of bishops, um, mm-hmm. who's part of this Upstarts group. But that's a recurring thing that you're going to see throughout X-Men comics of this era. It's never been an element that I've really gravitated towards. Um, it includes characters like Shinobi Shaw, the son of Sebastian Shaw, um, it includes, I think, Matsue, um, the the hand sort of leader who, you know, alongside the Mandarin is the one who, like, transformed and uh, Psylocke kind of made their into her, her yeah. you know, their living yes. weapon back, right, in yeah, back in Acts of Vengeance. Acts of Vengeance, yeah. Yeah, um, and and there's there's others involved as well. But well, that, it, that's all the, like, that that's all the Omega Red uncanny, or X-Men stuff. That's right. They're there, like, they're there in X-Men, yeah. Yeah, because the uncanny X-Men, I think stays really, it, it actually was surprising to me that this was not the first Bishop story, right? Like, right. I, I think actually you choosing these was really fine, like totally functional because I like, think you mean this good. feels like an, we can we can get a little more praising in there. It was very competent. savvy. It was uh, <laughs> competent. Oh was, my goodness! Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it was it was a smart choice, and it works fine because like I thought this was the introduction of Bishop. It works as an introduction. Like it feels like you're just jumping in media res, and it's intentional. So like. I mean, it's also a testament to the comic being a well-written comic that is not, like, you know, an absolute, uh, you know, totally confusing if you haven't read anything that comes before it. But, yeah, it throws you into this thing where Bishop is with his team, which they die immediately, the uh, the XSE, the Xavier Security Enforcers. They've come back in time from the future to stop a bunch of prisoner, like a prison outbreak that's happened, and the last prisoner that they need to uh, to kill, like they're killing all these prisoners, is, like you said, Trevor Fitzroy. And he runs into the X-Men, and there's this whole interesting thing where, like, Bishop talks about the X-Men as if they are, you know, like, gods, right? Like, he, he in revered tones, like, it's interesting, it's like... I don't know about gods that, so much as the... Not, um, not gods, Like the heroes, founding fathers. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, not like literal gods, but just like, you know, they are 
just mythological figures in his mind. Um, But like to the point where they literally like, you you can see a bunch of the slang that they use is based like, he'll say like, by Cyclops, right? Like, instead of like, my God. And then like someone else talks about bamfing somewhere, which like maybe is a Nightcrawler link, right? Like, he's like, well, I better bamf out of here. Um, Anyway, there's, there's a bunch of stuff like that that works so well compared to the way that remember Rob Liefeld trying to like write his own slang for his characters um like this at least feels grounded in like oh there's there's a reason for this and you can kind of pick up on why even if it is maybe a little like indulgent and maybe you could feel a little fan servicey i don't know um oh see but i i quite i guess you know i am a fan right i am a fan of x-men yeah, comics so sure. i yeah, actually yeah. really I, I, like the rendition yeah. of bishop who is very much grounded and rooted in x-men history like that makes him in a way, it feels like, you know, oh, he's a fan of the X-Men too, even though that's not really the world he's coming from. It's more just that is his history. So they are these revered figures in mutantdom. Because um, otherwise, you know, Bishop, yeah, like you're saying, I mean, he's this he's a time cop from the future. He comes back to apprehend slash murder prisoners and um, and then kind of gets trapped here with the X-Men. But the, the one and then one of the biggest hooks of Bishop coming back is with his knowledge of the future he knows the X-Men will be betrayed, right? And that's the mm-hmm. big yeah. sort of sort of thread here for Bishop is like he knows one of the X-Men are going to betray them and he doesn't quite know who, but he knows there was a witness. So you get some, and it's pretty clearly telegraphed both through here. And then as we get to X-Men number eight, especially where Bishop's like, oh yeah, it's it's Gambit. I think Gambit is the traitor. So he's really got it out for good old Remy LeBeau. Um, But yeah, I mean, all this, I think in terms of building characterization of who Bishop is, I think... There's a danger here of, like you just said, like Rob Liefeld, Louis Simonson, they introduced Cable in New Mutants 87. There's a mm-hmm. danger here of being like, so you're just doing Cable again? Like, this just yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah. And he's very successful. And I don't know that that's a totally unfair criticism, you know, mm-hmm. at the yeah. end of the day. But I do think Bishop's story through these Uncanny X-Men issues here is is definitely more robust than anything we really get from the future of Cable, which is very slowly parsed out. I mean, Cable's story is very slowly parsed out over a number of years. Um, Again, that's kind of, you know, that's the thing with Liefeld. It's like, it's action and design first. It's thinking about how to explain it later, almost always left to someone else. And (laughs) Jim Lee, Mostasio and company, they're not doing that with Bishop. They've actually thought through a bit what they want it to be. Hey, can I tell you something real quick before we we continue with the comic? So I have, I have, as of this moment of recording, the opportunity to interview Rob Liefeld on my podcast. Oh, tough choice. Do I do it? (laughs) Do I do that thing? I'll tell you right now. No, I'll tell you after you answer. Do I do it? Okay. I personally, I wouldn't, but you know, like I also, I've not been doing it for, I mean, one, because I think that he has talked at length. It, like, I, I just feel like it's, it's not someone that people can't find the exposure to if they want to find it. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's mm-hmm. he has his own podcast where he just he doesn't even talk to anyone else. He just talks himself for yeah. you know, 60 to 90 minutes per episode. He's been interviewed a bajillion times. And also, he's just like, just kind of borderline sleazy. You know, like he. Oh, he tweets, you can take out the borderline. He, you can take. I out mean, the well, the thing is, like, he, he's not like a full on comics gate guy explicitly, like, but he'll like tweet something, and then people will yell at him for big comics gate, and then he'll erase it, right? So it's just like, like he's not contrite, but he also is not, you know, like Ethan Vince Skyver, Skyver, Sky, Skyer, whatever. Um, you know, like 
So you know, I, I mean, sure, but that's a, that's a low bar. Um, yeah. Oh, well, I, yes. sure. I tend, I'm falling in the same camp. I'm falling in the same camp. Yeah. I could do that, and mm-hmm. it would have to be literally the hardest hitting interview I've ever done. Sure. Yeah. Like, <laughs> which is already just... a level of of discomfort. Um, which is yeah, not a reason not to do it, but. Uh, but anyway, so anyway, I, I did net out. I, I, I think like that. It, I, I think it would be significantly too negative in experience. I'm not interested in promoting his work. I'm not interested in that at all. Yeah. Well, because I mean, uh, like so. he, he's he. I, I've read some of his uh, like Captain X or whatever the the new thing is. <laughs> Major X. It's, yeah. Major X. Yeah. He's still just doing you know the same stuff in the 90s. Like it's you know, and at this point, it's it's really old and tired. And I would be know, willing to. It's a bad comparison. Hmm. It's an unfair comparison. But okay. you know how R. Kelly had a moment in like the <laughs> early 2010s where it was really hip to like R. Kelly music. Like he he headlined mm-hmm. at Pitchfork sure. here in Chicago. I went yeah. and saw it. I was at Pitchfork. I went and saw it. It was an extremely hipster thing to be super into 90s R. Kelly R&B. And then yeah. okay. obviously now... And and it sh- it should have happened earlier, right? It's not. It has not been a secret for as long as people like to pretend that he was, you know, a pretty monstrous predator. Um, Liefeld's got similar vibes, where it's like, and, and he, he's not accused of anything major. I don't want to say that again. No, no. I mean, it, it, him is mo- literal illegal stuff. But it would be like, yeah, I would be willing to have fun with the comics in the way that we've done, but for you being such a negative and like you said, like on the line of um harassing or or just like very very i don't even know if offensive is the right term but just kind of like openly like hostile towards so many different groups and so many people in such a way it's where the, it's like it's i that, don't uh, i don't know what the right way to talk to this essentially he's just kind of uh contrary about you know the world moving on right he's just kind of like a, a little bit of a oh he's like, firmly stuck like, in the past in as far yeah as but you know and it's like taste he won't blatantly just be like <sighs> Why do we have so many gay people in comics nowadays? He'll just be like, hey, you remember when you could make a black character a villain? Like, I think it's actually kind of racist to not have any black villains, right? Like, stuff like that, where you're just like, oh, I don't, come on, man, what are you, stop it. <laughs> like, it's, Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's, it's that, like, I mean, he, he definitely, like, I, I feel like he kind of hides behind, you know, pretending that he's not as mad <laughs> at the uh, the world changing around him as he is. And like, Oh, yeah. Yeah, but it's yeah. it's it's only thinly veiled. Anyway, yeah, no, I, I think the only uh, interesting way to interview him would be to press him on, you know, the comic world changing around him. Which, that's you know, that's what I, I was thinking. But then it's like I'd only have so much time, and probably dude would filibuster to the point that nothing was said. And it's like, why why would I even do that? And yeah, then the other yeah. the other piece of it is like I would want to do a massive amount of preparation and stuff that i would not have time to do so anyway yeah, that yeah. that interview will never happen <laughs> likely, <laughs> we just decided but it has been on my mind this week um it's That's a weird very, one it's a weird one because it is like he's not like a hero of mine i don't love those comics we talked about them you know and i we can yeah, both find yeah. fun things in them um obviously we both like the debut of cable but it is yeah, just especially one of where it's like someone has such a nasty presence currently where it's like yeah i kind of don't even want to i don't know there's just like a degree of his his persona is so wrapped in negativity that it's it's kind of hard to get around and just like or just enjoy I mean, the comics. You know that if, like, no, if you li- I've listened him. to his show, he is insanely positive and in, you know like boosting comics of the seventies and eighties, right? Like yeah, yeah. He, right. he has a real passion for it that is kind of fun to listen to. Like I listened to his John Byrne episode; it was pretty good. You know, like he's a he massive fan. Like, 
Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and like, if you want that, like positivity, but then, you know, he will tweet stuff like John Burns, like fan comics that he's putting out on his forum are the best X-Men comics in 30 years. And it's like, I even like those. Like, I actually kind of defend those. Yeah, comics. yeah you're the that's defender a, of those. Yeah, they're, they're pretty good, you know, but they're that's a wild statement to say. That's insane. Um, I just want to point out one of the funniest things on his. Uh, I was just looking at his iTunes reviews uh, for his podcast the other day to see how popular it was, and I <laughs> okay. I do like that somebody called him out. Basically, like I've listened to all these episodes, he never mentions Louise Simonson once. Two stars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is which is bonkers, right? Because she was so key to like all the best issues that he did. So no, his his ego is too and big for that. He's not even sure. in this batch of comics. Why are we talking about him? <laughs> <laughs> I just had a personal question. I needed to okay. get off my chest. No, I mean, I just you mentioned how this era is is often defined by him. I mean, I think we even see that in the Alpha Flight issue we read today. It's not him, but yeah. that art style is somebody looking oh, at, yeah. hey, I need to do <laughs> a live film. That's popular, yeah. you know? So sure. uh, it's I, I, an oversized influence, for sure. I was I was looking up Executioner Song, which will be our next uh, episode with a guest. Yeah, yeah. And I was just, like, looking up the publication history, and it is funny because, like, the original intent and some of the, um, like, press around it and the, the like... Um, advertising copy was like strongly being like this will reveal the origin of cable because at right. this point in the comics there's been two things about cable um one strife has cable's face right like that was a big twist and two it's hinted at that like strife or uh, cable might be the child of gene gray and uh, uh scott summers right that i guess that was hinted at in some issues that we skipped over but like i guess just kind of like thinly hinted at i don't think we skipped over uh, it I can't remember yeah, we, reverse what I read, we, did I, we read the X-Factor did, stuff. Anyway. That did not happen in 1992. Nothing about Cable gets revealed for another, like, two years. Like, they dragged their feet on it till like, 1994. So, like, yeah. you're right. All that stuff just gets so totally slow. It gets slow out. moving. It's very slow moving, mm-hmm. which, which actually, you know, it's interesting in retrospect how much did that open the door for Bishop to be as much of a mainstay as he is. I think if Cable's origins were declared earlier... Mm-hmm. And that character had, there was more of a foundation beyond the grizzled, you know, gun guy. I, mm-hmm. I don't know that Bishop would have had as much of a place. But because that gap is there, Bishop actually gets to be the voice from the future, ironically, mm-hmm. in a way that Cable yeah. just, they just don't tap into the future part of things as Well, except much. for, like, the beginning, right? Like, the beginning of Cable really had that. And that's what I liked about Cable. Like, he, you know, the, the original Louis Simonson Cable issues. Yeah. I thought he was really compelling. And then... As soon as he's a an X Force guy, I just feel uh, like it's a lot more it's a lot more firmly um, it's a lot more firmly plotted out here with Bishop. Oh yeah, I mean a real sense of what his future is. Of like he has a like he meets Forge and he's like, hey Genesis or or something like that, and it's like he has a nickname for this character because he knows him. You know what I mean? Like he has a relationship with this world from what and and all that is conveyed. All that's conveyed really well. Like and I I think it's engaging. Like I I don't know you know me I'm like. It, like, X-Men stuff does not automatically catch me, right? Like, I don't have this innate, like, drive to yeah, yeah. want right. to know everything about the X-Men. But, like, I was really into this. I was really, I really liked the hook of a future prison break. And, you know, there's that one guy, uh, Trevor something. I forgot That's his right. name now. Uh, Trevor Fitzroy, who has the power to, like, open time portals and, like, freeze the entire maximum security prison into the past, right? And then all these prisoners are going to come to the past and kill... I think the X-Men and, like, Bishop and all them when they're younger so that they can will never be jailed, whatever. And they're, like, hunting down criminals in the past. It's fun. Like, all that's fun. And then, like you said, the mystery of, like, there's a guy who's the witness. He's the last one to see the X-Men alive. And 
he's not talking in the future, right? Is that is that the same person that he yeah. thinks is that that's who he thinks um, Gambit is, right? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, if, if he's designed like, like anyone, <laughs> he's designed like yeah. Remy a bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's all good. You know, like all all that like all that reads well. I I think especially in the X Men issues. So like it, it's strange though because those X Men issues are like have fundamentally the same team, right? Like it's Jim so Lee. Before Scott we Lobbed. Oh, before yeah, we get to on. the no no you're you're exactly on the same wavelength. Before we get to the the writers, I think one of yeah. the one of the things that helps actually Uncanny two eighty seven and two eighty eight to to mm-hmm. have more of that structure that you're talking about is the first issue is drawn by John Romita Jr. Okay, dude has a <laughs> history doing Marvel comics and doing X-Men comics. And the second issue is drawn by Andy Kubert, who's pretty new at this point for X-Men, uh, but it's inked by Bill Sienkiewicz. So it's like you, you know, have a foundational, I, like very, very talented professional team putting these comics wild. together. I, I did not notice that, but I actually like I, I almost and I didn't even know it was Kubert. I actually thought these were still Jim Lee. Yeah, and uh, and I almost brought to you. I was like planning on mentioning like there's something about Sinkevitz here, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. There's there's a, a flavor of that, but I guess it was just because it's him. Hmm. Um, yeah. The the writing thing. What what is surprising to me is that the writing team here is Jim Lee plotting Scott Lobdell, Wills Portacio, and John Byrne, who's back here like helping out with X Men. I think John Byrne is like writing the scripts instead of like the plots, right? Like he's Jim he's Lee's brought into scripts the... specifically. I mean, I th- so Jim Lee actually. With- like wooed him in to do yeah. this because it's probably uh, not Jim Lee's like strong suit, like writing character dialogue, right? I think that's no. He, Jim I, I Lee does not fair. I mean, I think to... he's. I think the and fact he just... that he's cognizant of that so quickly too is like to his own great credit, frankly. Oh, you totally know? right. I mean, like Liefeld could use that that self awareness, um, because like again, Liefeld just drawing that'd be fun. I'd be into that. You know, <laughs> like if if a better writer is writing stuff for Liefeld to draw. Well, that's. Like, I mean, that is what X Force is. Fabian Nicia is yeah. writing all the dialogue. Oh, is he? All right. Well, never mind. Forget I said anything. I don't like the shots <laughs> fired at Nisi. Um, bum, bum, yeah, bum. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think what's like what's cool about or what, what's interesting to me that's four writers on a comic. You would think that comic would just be like a disaster of like comic by committee, and it <laughs> yeah, right. It, it works. It works so well. Yeah, yeah. It is okay. surprising. Um, the, the one other plot thing we should mention is like the X Men are breaking into teams, which is going to be a thing now for forever, right? So you've got the gold team and the blue team. It's like the gold team is led by Storm, and it's kind of like the new, or it, yeah, yeah. It's like most of the new ones. It's like Colossus, uh, Archangel, Iceman, Bishop. I guess Iceman's old, and so is Jean Grey. Never mind. There's no easy way to classify it. <laughs> uh, and I, then the I like team, having like I I do like having you know space for more X Men characters, um, sure. especially you know, and obviously like this has been a build of X Men comics to this point is like bringing everyone back into the fold, um, getting the old X Factor crew. Like it is kind of. It's it's honestly quite fun to read an issue of Uncanny or X Men where it's like, oh hey, there's Archangel, and we don't have to jump to the pages of X Factor just to get that content. It's like everyone under one roof again. I actually well, except quite I, like I thought that. that except that I was like, for for during the middle of this, I was like, where's Nightcrawler and Kitty Pride? Like I couldn't remember where they were, and then we read an Excalibur issue later, and I was like, oh yeah, that's right, I forgot about yeah that. yeah. No, that's why you don't um, get them here. I think it would be better so, if they were here, <laughs> honestly. Well, okay, so. One of my big issues with the uh, the X Men two four through eight that we read mm-hmm. after this, which is really Jim four Lee and through John seven Byrne. is one story, and then eight is a, mm-hmm. a Bishop follow up. Eight's really good. I think eight stands on its own. It, eight feels just kind of like the continuation of the Bishop stuff. Yeah, but four through seven, it's like Omega Red, the Hand, Fenris, like the Strucker twins, all coming together, 
And I think it's kind of messy. It's very often like I was in the halfway through an issue and I'm like, where are they? I have no idea where they are. Like they're they're all in this just like generic science lab looking background or something. It's a little extinction agenda like that where it's like, well, it's a facility of some kind. And, and I was they're like, all well, trapped there. I'm, I'm like, is this? I don't remember. Are we in the X mansion or is this the Fenris's tower? Is this a Omega Red or, you know, Matsuo's headquarters? Like I, it, there's a little bit of like um like not setting the scene, like in no no location building, like it's moving so quickly. The other issue with this, I think, I think it might be wise for them to really keep like X Men is blue team, Uncanny X Men is gold team, and like unless we really need to, you know, cross those streams, we don't. Because having these different teams, like it happened all the time, where like um, a whole team got taken down by Omega Red, and then like mm. Cyclops and Jubilee like would burst through the door, and I was like, oh wait, you weren't already here? Like just having like. 11 X-Men means that like those group fights become less engaging because I'm, I'm I've so lost track of who's where who's fighting who, right? Like even yeah. if the individual fights and stuff are coherent and make sense on the page, like when you're looking at them, they're not visually confusing. I think it's just, it's, it's too much like going on um, action wise for you to like really keep track of like, so like the stakes vanish, right? That that's like the big, big issue is like, I was never really worried about, you know, when Omega Red would poison, some people because I'm just like I was forgetting moment to moment who was getting like who was in which situation because there were so many different characters all like bouncing off each other. I mean, I think I think plot wise, I think visually, too, these comics are very busy. And mm -hmm. that's definitely for someone who didn't grow up on 90s books, because there's obviously so much nostalgic affinity for books like these. But for someone who didn't grow up on these, I mean, I think this is it's Getting close to that, you know, kind of when people say, oh, 90s comics as a cliche, like there's some of those elements here of just like the absolute busyness and the panel layout and everything where it can be like kind of what you're saying, where it's like, wait, what is actually happening? I mean, I think there's there are clear there are clear main plots and clear character focuses like issues four through seven. It's a Wolverine story. Um, it's it's mm -hmm, a Wolverine yeah. story about his him learning. We get a lot of flashbacks to him on a team with Sabretooth and with a new introduction of a character named Maverick when they were in the CIA. It's a part mm -hmm. of Wolverine's history he doesn't remember, and it ties into the present day because it was their first original fights with Omega Red trying to obtain the Carbonadian Synthesizer. Which this, is like uh, the, the most obnoxious, um, what is it, like I think you mean cool. Here. It's you said obnoxious, like, but I'm sure you meant cool. <laughs> it's carbon carbonadium, which is just like it's flexible adamantium, and Omega Red has it, they're like they're supposed to be tentacles, but they more look like whips to me. And there's this whole yeah, tentacle thing where like tentacle Omega, whip, but he can like grab. I, I don't know. Th those don't read as very cool to me, right? Did you like, say they, he they, can they, grab ass. Yeah, he can grab with ass those tentacle whips. <laughs> no, he where, can grab. When did grab that happen? I missed them. it. Well, you weren't paying attention enough. I was not. Paying uh, you know what? Apparently. I I actually kind of disagree, and it's funny. It's kind of the opposite of where we usually fall. I think the panel layouts are pretty good. Like, I think the pages look really nicely and read easily. I think it's actually an issue of plotting that there's too much like packed into the issues for you to, you know, have a coherent idea in your mind of you know what's happening. What? Because I think looking at any one of these pages, it's pretty easy at a glance to see like where the action is leading. I think it's just a factor of being overwhelmed by the like sheer amount of story and plotting happening in per. <clears throat> I guess per I'm page. a little confused by I, that I because there's, yeah. there's one primary plot, which mm -hmm. is Wolverine versus Omega red and the flashbacks and then various X-Men on the side trying to help him. 
And then there's like one secondary plot, which is a weird inclusion of a Mojoverse plot. Like I would, I would give you that that's a little strange, but aside from that, how is it too busy? Well, in because terms of plot, yeah, because it's like Matsuo brings back Omega Red because he wants to kidnap Wolverine because Wolverine knows where the carbonium, whatever carb carbonite or synthesizer is. But then Wolverine is having these flashbacks about a time where he knew Omega Red and this other guy named Maverick. But then the Fenris twins are involved because I don't even remember why. Like they also well, want part of the upstarts. I mean, I th- everything you're saying here is just. It's kind of that Game of Thrones, like, oh, I can't keep track of everyone. Like, it's just there's a lot of players. And I well, think for not, for X-Men fans, no, it's just like I think you just have a hard time when, like, there's there's more than two characters. Like, I think that's the, the, kind of your you, thing. Well, I, that's not true. I have no, <laughs> of course I have no problem with No, but I'm saying for X-Men fans, like, it's not that hard. And it, it's, it, you know, it's no, not the that thing hard. Is like, I don't, also, I don't when, like, think... Cyclops and Gambit show up, it's kind of like, yeah, sure. Like, I don't care Th- what Those they plots were. are not that complicated. Like, the, the actual plotting of the villains and stuff and what's happening, like, you know, to Wolverine being kidnapped and stuff. Like, I followed all that pretty well. I think it's literally that there are, like, 11 heroes involved here, right? And they're all, like, attacking from different angles so that you just but they have the But there are pretty of, like, clear focuses on who really matters here, and it's Wolverine. You know? Yeah, that's no, what no, I'm that, saying, and that, everything that's what else is supportive. Like, I, I, yeah, I, I totally agree, right? Like, I, you, I walked away with these getting the general thrust, but also, like, ask me, like where Psylocke was at any one point. I'm like, well, she did fight Omega Red at one point, but, like, I, I think, did Cyclops save her, or was that Archangel? Right, like, there's just a lot of other characters bouncing in it. I mean, this is just team fights in general, also. I mean, it's hard to have a team fight, period, right? It's, like, one of the X-Men's biggest problems is, like, it's hard to have an engaging team fight that doesn't just feel, like, overwhelming, and it absolutely loses all of its tension because there's just too many people in the room. Um, mm. that's, you know, I think that's a pretty common, common thing that happens here. One um, thing I think Jim but, Lee does incredibly well in setting the stage yeah. for, you know, because again, like this is establishing, okay, post, post Claremont, what is your vision for the X-Men? One thing I think he and John Byrne and whoever else is involved, I'm sure we got Scott Williams on inks. Yeah. Colors by Joe Rosas. Um, they do a great X-Mansion relaxation. They do a really oh, good job the basketball at one? the X-Men spending time together. Ooh, Gambit versus Wolverine, stuff. one-on-one basketball. Truly some of my favorite X-Men stuff of all mm-hmm. time. It's hilarious how good they are. It's yeah. comical, the types of shots they're hitting. But it's also just like people talk a lot about like the so- the X-Men playing softball vibes, you know, and kind of wanting the, the nostalgia of everyone just hanging out, having fun. But Lee and Byrne and, and whoever else is involved, like, they nail those vibes. Like it's it's really entertaining to watch these characters hang out. And plus, there's like there's a good amount of character work being done on somebody like a Gambit, who we still don't really know. Um, mm-hmm. Just in showing him play one on one basketball with Wolverine, I think X Men Eight is basically all that because it's just the X Men going on a picnic, and it, it's very yeah, it's easy to follow. Issue. It's yeah. very clear what's yeah. happening. You get a lot of you get the relationship between Rogue and Gambit. You get what's going to be of Bishop and Gambit. You get mm-hmm. uh, a Psylocke putting moves without even intending to on Storm, Cyclops. Storm and Bishops get like a really good dynamic building here, where he's yeah like, assenting to her, you know, really being the leader, and he's trying to you know like let himself like humble himself a bit i yeah everything i was saying before about you know things being like too many characters bouncing off does not apply to this issue this issue is excellent and i think just totally works at what it's trying to do yeah i just i I don't really i guess i I don't understand or i understand what you're saying but i don't i definitely don't agree in terms of the too many characters for four through seven i do think they're busy i think there's there's a kineticness to lee's action that can often be honestly like 
very unappealing. Um, I, there's a lot of characters. I'll absolutely give you that. Like the upstarts just showing up. That is kind of like a little force fed. It's like, do Fenris need to be in this story? No, not really. I mean, there are criticisms yeah, I don't really like know that you could be made. I think the flashbacks to Team X, those they they don't actually tell you aside from color yeah. coding, which is something yeah. now that I might look at a comic and be like, that's really cool. But it also has to be done very intentionally. And I don't know that these comics are quite there at pulling it off in terms of being like, and now we're in the past and you can tell because of the yellow shading, like as you read it, it becomes clear, I suppose, but it's a little disorienting at first. I, I don't know that the uh, craft I, is quite there to pull it off. It, w- it wasn't disorienting to me, but I also just thought it wasn't visually appealing. Like every time we got to one of those pages, I was just like, well, this, this is not fun to read anymore. It looks like crap. <laughs> like it just is a, an unpleasant page to look at. And those I stories do think... were not that, that engaging, right? Like the flashbacks you... were not fun. Um, they're useful in terms of like Wolverine history stuff. You know, if you like, if, if those characters are important to you, you know, Sabretooth, obviously the introduction of Maverick here, there's a level of coolness to, and, and what's kind of interesting like about we've... those stories too, is it's Jim Lee and team now kind of pulling from the Barry Windsor Smith weapon X. Sure. Well, I was going to say, we just had all Wolverine. of that in like this, you know, that all the flashback stuff here, you know, pales in comparison to the Barry Windsor Smith stuff that we read, and we just read all that. So you know, yes, but that's inevitable, it's and it's following up on it in yeah. ways that are at at a minimum influential. At, at sure. a minimum, I mean, they're influential. Cor- I don't know Dr. how. Like Cornelius is here and uh, gets shot in the head, so <laughs> that's something. Um, okay, I, I have to I have to talk about the end scene here, the end of the Omega Red sequence. Um, how do they defeat Omega Red? Do you remember? I think they just escape, right? They just escape from him. Um, yeah, pretty much. It doesn't matter. Uh, the, the whole thing is like, it's this MacGuffin where they can carbo synthesizer is what they're searching for. Wolverine has it hidden away from so- somewhere, right? He has buried it in the grave of... Um, oh, who's this woman? Um, it's the um, woman that, in the flashback mission, that the team went to like rescue and to get, pull right, her right, out right. with the carbonadium. And yes. Sabretooth, basically, I think her name's Janice, is like he kills her for no reason, basically, yeah, um, right, other than right, like right. she's a witness and it'll make it easier for them to escape. Uh, okay, so Matsuo, <laughs> Matsuo figures this out, that it's buried in the grave. This is one of the funniest moments I've ever read. They dig up the grave of this poor woman to find this this uh, synthesizer. Wolverine bursts out claws first out of the grave, like having having predicted that they'll come here and attacks them. It's so funny. The way that he draws it is so straight-faced, and then just to have Wolverine be like, I've just been laying in this grave for 14 hours waiting for you to get here is incredible. Yeah, uh, I and, do love like, that. And it not, I'm not even, like, it's really funny to me, but it also works as a really fun twist. Like, it's it's big, dumb action comics that, like, that work well. It's a fun, engaging... Well, and it know. puts a... And it ties up the story very quickly, <laughs> which yeah. is pretty effective. Oh, yeah, yeah. I do think, compared to where Lee was at with X-Men number one to three, which I, again, mm-hmm. like, I just marvel at how good those comics look um, and mm-hmm. how incredible the X-Men look in those. It's pulling those designs and that style into four through seven, but I think there's a real drop-off comparatively. Again, I mm-hmm. talked about one through th- three feeling like an event in in ways, and I think it has all the glossiness and just the, the pristine kind of art there. I actually think by the time we get to four to seven, you can see it. Now it feels like you're out of the maxi event series, the prestige series, and it's back to the regular ongoing. And for me, it's just like, whether it's the pacing or whatever, it's like the quality of it just isn't nearly as high as it was previously. I don't like looking at these comics nearly as much. I don't think there are as many standout 
just kind of like panels that you would put as a poster on your wall kind of thing, even though there's still plenty of good stuff. And again, like very few artists define good 90s work, quite like Jim Lee. Um, I I do think, too, with four through seven, you know, you have this thing or including eight, actually, especially. It's kind of it's always funny when people talk about like, oh, 90s, like it's all violence and sexy, you know, women kind of thing. And like the the real floodgates opening on hypersexualization of characters that definitely hits pretty hard here in these X-Men comics, um, especially in I think issue number eight was definitely a time where like Rogue, Psylocke in particular, there's a big emphasis on bosoms. <laughs> Everyone's drawn very, I guess what the idea of sexy comic girl like good girl art is for the early 90s it's very Mm -hmm. hyper emphasized in ways that previous eras it's not like previous eras it's not like there's a sexualization that isn't happening in comics up to this point but it definitely Mm -hmm. feels like certain because there's a certain like wave of pushing boundaries or i guess in the ways that they felt like they were pushing boundaries that they're hitting harder here in there are moments there are moments where i actually i don't mind it and like that gate, like, there's a moment where um, Cyclops and Jean Grey are hanging out, you know, pond side, and uh, Cyclops cannot answer one of Jean Grey's questions because he's, like, too busy ogling Psylocke as she, like, comes out of the water all sexy-like in her bathing suit. But in that moment, it's so clear that Psylocke is presenting herself as such, like, intent, like, she's, you know, flirting with Cyclops that I, I don't mind that, right? Like, it, it, I mean, it's all about that, right? It's just about, like, hey, is this character have the agency to be, like, sexual in the moment, right? Or is this, like, what we see later where Bishop goes to visit Storm in her bed and she's wearing, you know, like, a, a bikini in bed while <laughs> Bishop, a man who just met her, is just like, I accept you as leader, and she's just uncovered, you know, like, posing on her bed in her underwear, um, which, you know, in that case feels like this is just like the comic book leering at somebody's body just because you know that's what we do to women yeah I, yeah um, i don't know how often yeah. it it truly bothers me in this comic i, re- I really honestly i'm not even pointing it out as, as much of a, even like a net is an obvious negative so much as just it, an it's, obvious it, thing it, that doesn't, it doesn't feel art. egregious to me but it, you know it, it's starting to creep in here and there tiffany actually called that out in uh last i think last episodes like hulk comics in a way that i was like Really, I don't even think I noticed it. Like that, she was talking yeah. about how like sexualized the characters were, and like. Well, we talked about like, this previously. Oh, it's not so bad, <laughs> all things considered. Like in my eyes, but you know. No, like, it's different. Different eyes, right? Different perspectives that for, are, are oh, going to yeah, view course, it differently yeah. for sure. I mean, I, I we talked about this previously, but there's something too for me, especially with like early '90s art that I just it the way they draw their idea of sexy to me is so rarely actually sexy or titillating oh yeah (laughs) right yeah yeah that's so i think that's a big part of it where early 2000s art i i can it's easier for me to tell what they're trying to do you know what i mean like that stuff jumps at me more where Mm -hmm. it might be like oh i see what you're doing and it's effective or it's not um with 90s art it's kind of like i i'm actually probably blinder to a lot of it because so much of it is like so hyper stylized where like like legs and backsides just aren't a thing that have definition or shape. <laughs> like, yeah, for sure. It, right? it, it is funny watching like butts become, you know, like big butts becoming the the thing in uh, in culture. I mean, I, that's one of the best things about watching uh, and reading One Piece, the manga. Yeah, is that like every woman has breasts as big as her head, easy if not bigger, 
every woman. <laughs> Literally every woman has the same exact figure of like yeah. a waist that is as thick as her arms and her boobs are just like enormous. Every woman's butt is just like two lines, you know, at the top of her thighs. It's yeah, nothing. Yeah. It's it's really funny just seeing like, you know, yeah, this this guy just <laughs> but hold no interest for this wasn't his thing yeah. yeah no it's yeah, for yeah. sure it's there but um but yeah i mean i think all in all like i i don't love this era of x-men but i like it more than i thought i would um, i i'm going I'm back fun. To you know p- part of it is i'm having fun because i think they're good like i think they're very solid like everything this and x-factor um like the x-men comics more than uncanny x-men but like x-factor in this like I'm kind of into it. Part of it is I think they're good, and part of it I think is I'm just like, it, it feels like a bit of a breath of fresh air after so much Claremont and so much like, he, he's just so dense, <laughs> you know? And like, and it's just, these are just a little lighter on their feet and a little more modern. Um, they're not that much lighter. You know, it is funny because it's like Jim Lee clearly learned from Claremont in a lot of ways. Oh, like sure. they, they yeah, work yeah. together, and I think in his plotting, and then you get John Byrne in scripting, and it's like, yeah, he's not that far removed from Claremont, you know? So it's like, I actually don't know that the density lightens up that much. These are pretty I think, heavy I issues think, still. I think both of them are better at writing dialogue that is not just people speaking the plot out loud all the time. And like, oh, I, always, I, I, like, I think Claremont's a I think very he, good dialogue writer, oftentimes. No, I, th- I think he is too. Like, he can be. But he also, like, I, I don't know. I think he struggles sometimes to make the characters feel a little bit more grounded, right? Like, like he's mythologizing them a lot. And, like... If, if, there's a level of like heightened speech to wait we don't have to go into claremont anyway I, I think these are okay and like part of it is just that like we're reading something new you know check back with me a year from now even if the comics are the same quality i might be like okay well you know, no it's newness it is it's important because we've been yeah. you know on one hand it's celebrated how long the run is but on the other hand it's like yeah it, it gets old and you you can get stuck of it and, yeah, and sick yeah. of it, so it is good to try new things. Um, speaking of trying new although, things, although well, I was going to say, although Jim Lee is gone, right? This is the end of Jim Lee, so we're not going to be. I won't be talking about this. Uh, uh is he? He's not he doing X Men eleven. Like, I want to say, uh, maybe on X Men, Uncanny X Men, he's gone. Like two eighty eight is the last issue for him, I think. So two yeah, yeah. two eighty nine is already. Uh, and Wells Fortasio is already, yeah. already uh, spacing no. out. Yeah, yeah no, it's like all the Image guys are, are spacing out. It's By the time you year, get Executioner song, which is our next episode that you're going to be doing. All yeah, these, so there might be a few you know, more all the Liefelds and the Lees and yep. the Potassios, they're all gone. They're going okay. to Image. And that's, all right, sorry, that's to, sorry to step on your transition into Alpha Flight. Speaking of stepping on something, there's a man who wants to step on a baby in this <laughs> <laughs> issue. Before we go any further, time for an ad break. If you're listening to this podcast, you clearly love comics. You may even love deep, analytical takes on comics. So we think you might like Super Serious 616. Super Serious 616 is a podcast that explores what it would be like to live through the beginning of the modern Marvel age of comics. It is unlike any podcast that you have heard before. Mike and Ed talk about the public events from the early Silver Age of Marvel Comics as if those events were actually happening. As superpowered heroes and villains, gods, and monsters become everyday occurrences, Mike and Ed talk about the ramifications of the changes thrust upon the world. Would the Fantastic Four be welcomed as costumed do-gooders, or would their motives be questioned? Will there be super-powered Cold War with Russia? Will the appearance of Thor and the emergence of gods from ancient myths lead people to re-examine their own religious beliefs? Is Iron Man a good use of Stark Core shareholder capital? If Reed Richards had developed podcast technology in the 1960s Marvel Universe, this would be the show everyone would be listening to. 
So join Mike and Ed every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Super Serious 616 as they chart the evolution of the Marvel Universe from the ground up as it happens. All right, back to the show. Alpha Flight 106, we're, uh, we're back in, uh man, it feels, feels good, like huh? home. Feels good. You know, like, just let, no, I mean, I haven't read a single <laughs> flight issue past the burn era, you know, so it's basically 60 issues I have not touched Alpha Flight. Honestly, can't believe it's still going, <laughs> right? Like, who's It's remarkable this? how long this uh, series goes for, it goes truly. It's like 140 issues, something yeah. wild like that. Like, yeah. It's pretty, it, is, it goes it is until a- 1994, yeah. When you consider the state of you know modern comics and just the cancellation rate, like nothing goes that long, obviously. Cancel at this point, right? but it's just like that Alpha Flight went for 140 issues. Is just like man, what a time! What a time for comics to be alive. And I mean, series... like Alpha Flight Volume Two, Three, and Four all got like 20. Let's see, they got 20 issues, six issues, and something small. I don't know. Oh sure, like, no, a, another dozen it's issues. Deteriorate. Right? Yeah, but yeah. 106, the reason we're talking about it today is because this is, um, it is one of those big capital I important, capital H historic issues. Uh, this is the comic where North Star officially comes out as gay. Now, this is not just big for North Star as a character. It is big for Marvel Comics because this is the first canonically confirmed openly gay character in the entire Marvel Universe that it took Till 1992, I think, is something that up front, we just have to say, like, we we should absolutely not look at that as a good thing. I think the yeah. fact it one thing I was thinking about today is like, how many stories do you miss out on because of homophobia, because of, uh, yeah. of hate? Racism, and just, right. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, how many good stories and perspectives do you miss out on through the decades? But that is but for Marvel, did, did you that I mean, I begins got, I got to trolled. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I'll finish, finish your point. For Marvel, that begins to turn the corner, at least. I won't say even say change with Alpha Flight number 106, where finally, mid-1992, they can turn around and actually have a character come out as gay. Um, even if, as we'll get to, there's a lot of hemming and hawing after the fact. All right, what were you going to say? I got, like, trolled on Twitter once where someone was just like, you know, tired of us being praising you know like diversity in the comics um not diversity in comics <laughs> um sorry that's Is that a- even a thing still i don't think it's even a thing you're like making yeah. a weird inside reference don't 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 promote that garbage get that out of here yeah, get those sorry. words it's, out of your mouth yeah i was gonna say that's a very insular online reference anyway yeah. um yeah someone was just like honest question why do you uh you know think like diverse minority racial minority and lgbt representation is like important like it's fantasy like do you think dogs can talk because of stray dogs right and like i, I mean it, it's a, <laughs> that was a weird jump all right it, it was a weird jump it was a very stupid question um but you know what like I, I it is we don't have to go totally down this rabbit hole but what you said like if nothing else because i i don't really view this as activism right this is not like how i i don't I don't view, like, putting gay characters in books as activism. I view gay... I view hiring gay writers and artists as activism, right? Mm. And, like, allowing editorial freedom for people to tell, like, their own stories and stuff, right? Like, but, like, this is not, you know, this is not the level of which, like... I'm not not just excited by this because, on, like, an activist's level, I guess. Um, But it's because it's more interesting, right? Like, you have the richness of human experience, and if you're not reading stories because of human experiences and trying to find some kind of, like, something relatable, I don't know, like, what you were getting out of 
stories and art like that that's so such a strange perspective to me um i do okay. think there so, is i think to your activism point what i do just want to say is yeah i i may increasingly agree with that general sentiment um mm-hmm. but i do, there is a definite tangible value in representation at least for underrepresented groups in terms of seeing themselves on page is it enough i don't think that it is I don't think it's good enough, and I don't think Marvel should be taking victory laps and patting themselves on the back for having like a tertiary tertiary background character come out as queer, you know. Especially, but I especially do think when they're not actually is... hiring queer people, right? Like that's the that's the kicker. Oh no, I agree. Like... I agree with you on that front. That yeah. that I think if it was like which one's better, I'd be like, yeah, I guess that one. But the the, the real answer though is both. Both things should be happening, and yeah. I do think. But but I think the representation the other, of characters. I, that's that's. That's my point. Is like you, you hire a you know uh, Dennis Cat or no, Dwayne McDuffie, you're going to start getting some more interesting black stories, right? Yeah, when... sure. No, sure, for sure. You should you yeah. should welcome and pay for those perspectives. I just think like having a character like North Star come out and say the words "I am gay" in 1992, it's easy to look back and be like, "So what?" And oh, it's actually I, I, not I a so what moment. No, no. I'm not saying it about you. I'm just saying in okay. general. Yeah, yeah. It's possible, and I think it's very much not that moment. I mean, I think one thing we see, and we'll talk about the content of the issue itself, but one thing you see is Marvel doing this in 1992. There's a reaction. There's a negative reaction. There's there's a positive and negative reaction, as there would be today, right, with with these, I guess, charged social issues. One, it's really, it's just, like, deeply disheartening to me that the fact that it would be like, you know, oh, having a character come out as gay is, like, too mature for a Marvel comic. Like the re- like there's all this <laughs> well, like argument yeah, I mean, there's all this like argumentation around like that can't be in a book of heroes because that's that's too mature of a topic or that's not for kids or something like that. I mean that, that I just that's the like tremendously people getting mad that like gay people exist in a kids cartoon like I, my kids can't see that yeah. and it's like no, exactly. automatically labeling homosexuality as somehow, you know, vulgar or something, right? Like Sure. But w- one thing you see insane. in the wake yeah. of Alpha Flight 106 is in issue 110 which is an Infinity War crossover, there's a letters column in reply to this. So Marvel shares, I think it's like five letters <laughs> in response to this issue. And they're like, we're just going to run oh these without commentary, which honestly was smart because probably they would have stepped in something. Um, but they, two of the five are extremely negative, extremely negative, extremely hateful, extremely bigoted. Okay. And there's there's stuff in here like literally... Um, your superhero North Star, possibly once a role model for someone, certainly proved he was no hero and hopefully not a role model with the proclamation that he was gay. That is sick. That's something Marvel ran in a letter in 1992 in Alpha Flight 110. Obviously through the voices of another, Just, right? I, these I are mean, these kind are of wild quote unquote fans. And not, well, and now, now I look at it and I'm like, they would never publish stuff like this. But then they were like, or if they well, did, it would there, be there's a like little both sides and hands raising, right? And the person, I'm saying, right. Yeah, maybe. Right. And, and they don't actually say anything for anyone in these. But I'm saying there's there's two and then kind of two and a half letters like that in this. Mm-hmm. It actually it actually skews mostly negative, weirdly enough. Um, and then there's one like from the head of Glad who's like, yeah, it's good. There's there's so much pushback against this, I think, um, from in this era, right in this cultural moment. And it is we're in a better place now, clearly. Right. Because mm-hmm. of stuff. Not necessarily like this, but real I mean, life individuals. Culture who, in general has just, you know, so totally. There's, there's always going to be a bent towards progressivism. Years, yeah. It's just yeah. culturally, it's just going to happen. Um, it's it's so much 
easier to do now, but at the same time, it's still something that needs to be continue being pushed on. You know, so we're recording this in June 2021. Marvel's Pride Anthology just came out. I think it's the first one they've ever done. And they ran this, they ran this snippet of Northstar coming out in the back of that issue. Like this is still an iconic moment for queer representation in the Marvel Comics universe. Mm-hmm. And I think it will even though the comic itself isn't like real special on a content basis. It's actually more like comically goofy actually and with some, the actual goofy. like plot of the comics yeah but you know what like i i expected i expected to be a lot more grossed out by this because i kind of knew the vague outline of this i think it's okay i think it's yeah. got its heart i think it's got its heart in the right place i think like its anger is pointed in the right directions it's frustrating that it is so like you know clearly like being gay is you know it, it's politics and that's like what this has to be although like you know, I I don't know. The, the, I'm of two minds where it's just like the demand for all like LGBT art to be like comforting is a frustrating like call for me, right? But at the same time, I understand the exhaustion for like LGBT people to be like all LGBT media is oppressive and you know like heavy and about discrimination and about all the you know like bigotry and stuff. So like I I, I kind of. Uh, you know, I can see it both ways. I like the counterpoint I'd say to this is like John Byrne earlier in, I think, 89, 90 in some one of his Superman comics had a gay character. Um, and there definitely was like a little bigotry against uh, like a single mother who was a lesbian. But it mostly was like Superman just being like, I don't see what the big deal is. Why is everyone so mad at this? And it definitely was more like she just gets to be right. And like her existence is a little bit more like validated and not like quite so uh under attack as it is here right um or at least i think like... when i think my main criticism of alpha flight 106 along those yeah. lines is i i largely agree with you that i think it's for a lot of readers today like it's better than you think it will be in terms of the way it's handled i mean we haven't said yet but it's like you know this is written by scott lobdell you got mark Pasilia on pencils dan panician on inks colors by bob sharon letters by janice chang um, edits here by Bobby Chase and Chris Cooper. Um, I think, despite the fact that it's a little bit better than you think, I think the criticism I would have along those lines is at this juncture, and there's something that happens in Incredible Hulk where um, there's another gay character. Every quote unquote gay story is also an mm-hmm. AIDS story, and yeah. that's very much of the era, and that's very much a problem. And uh, Marvel's not unique in making that mistake, um, but it it is very much a cult you know because that's we can't do the whole dig on it um but you know the fact that by 1992 the aids pandemic was openly discussed and the fact that it had been going on for more than a decade at that point and just so the government horribly overlooked still not doing i mean the the thing is like 92 it was in you know it was still blazing hot right like the aids epidemic was still everywhere but it also had been around for like you said a decade with nothing being done about it and like the public perception and consciousness about it was slowly shifting towards like one of like we need to do something about this and not we just and Marvel's not ahead of the curve right in jumping in on this like this is I'm pretty sure I could be off on the timing here but I think this is post you know Magic Johnson saying he had AIDS like there's a there's a public awareness of the the pandemic at this point where people are only now starting to realize I mean it actually it actually I shouldn't say people are now only now starting to realize but it's it's only now becoming widely I mean this, this is the area where like I remember Captain Planet com- cartoons coming out talking about like you don't have to be scared of like kids with AIDS, right? And like Yeah, yeah. 
you know, like, you know, if it's trickling down to network TV, right, then I, I think it's a little, you know, they're not making a hard bold. It, it's a little bit like uh, Loki, the TV show, just kind of offhandedly saying that Loki's bisexual, right? Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, that's good. Fine. Like, I cool, right? The way they do it is fine. Um, but also, like, it's 2021, so it's not like I'm going to be like, oh, wow, like, how brave, incredible, I can't believe they did this, right? Like, right. you know, they're they're continually a decade or two behind the curve, you know, like, when yeah. things are, you know, totally yeah, safe. Yeah, but, still, to, to but still net the right thing, still net a good yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean, I think with Northstar, it's a really, it's a, it makes a lot of sense to, to have him be a character who comes out publicly. This is a character who John Byrne has spoken about intending as gay. There are subtle subtextual hints throughout the years, um, both in stuff mm-hmm. Byrne has written and otherwise, that the character is very much a gay man. Um, and he declares it here. And there's, again, like it's, I think it's it's too wrapped up in AIDS for, you know, if for to have every yeah, gay story you tell be a story of suffering yeah. and the story of yeah. disease, I think is yep. a mistake. But in terms of the conversation that North Star has with this Mountie, who, whose motivations are, he's Wild. mad... <laughs> His motivations are preposterous. I mean, he's mad at a baby. So a baby is born and the baby's given AIDS because the, the mother had AIDS. Okay? And it's just like in the middle of a, a superhero fight with Mr. Hyde, Alpha Flight's, or Alpha Flight, uh, North Star's like, what's that? I hear a baby pulls the weirdest looking baby out of the dumpster. The art here of this baby. And it's I've like, seen weirder. I've seen weirder from John Byrne in West Coast Avengers when he tries to buy two babies I don't in know. the bathtub the, and those, they both look like, like the troll. Yeah, those full adult babies are less weird than this, like, eraser head looking baby. But also, now I feel bad saying that because I'm like, are they, is it drawing a sickly baby? I, I, is this what he thinks, like, the a baby sickly is baby ill. looks like? That's true. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Anyway, so, yeah, he finds a baby with AIDS. This Mountie... Send us pictures of your like, babies. We're going to start a new segment. It's called Opinions on Babies, uh, where we will review how your will, baby looks. Send in those we'll, photos. Yeah, we'll do, I'll do a baby judging for the uh, the $20 tier on Patreon. I'll tell you how alien it looks um isn't that yeah, this, uh this, isn't that a you're the word or what is it um i think you should leave skit <laughs> yes know, yeah the skit. baby of the year <laughs> um little little dinky oh, i can't remember flattened by a, a steamroller or something anyway um this mountie which i think is a kind of a fun idea of like yeah back in the 40s like namor captain america and this guy called like captain maple leaf <laughs> Yeah, like major um, maple leaf. Yeah, yeah. Major maple leaf fought, you know, all together, and it's just like, yeah, the Canadian version of Captain America. He's retired now, and he had a son who was gay and died of AIDS, and he's mad because this baby who contracted AIDS, you know, through his it's her mother, right, in the womb, um, is getting all this sympathy from the the public where his his son got none because the perception is like, you know, gay people did it to themselves, right? Like gay people and junkies, like they're you know they brought this on themselves is the a very common refrain, especially from, like, the religious right at the time. But his solution is to go in genuinely, like, the top five funniest panels I've ever seen. Him standing over the baby's bassinet with both fists raised in the air, ready to, like, smash down on this baby. And and the perspective has this, like, lens, like, lens distortion where the baby looks like it is, like, six inches... <laughs> long and, and this man is huge hulking over it it's it's such a funny panel out of context i was losing it reading this <laughs> reading this and then there's a big fight and he's just like i want to destroy this baby because it's getting the sympathy my son doesn't but then it you know north star beats him up while admitting that like he's gay so you know that's why he cares about this baby and i like that he beats him up and then it ends with the two of them like hugging right like he embraces the guy because he collapses in tears um 
it's silly, right? Like it's silly and it like it's I mean, modeling. I guess as silly as you can get with a grown man threatening a baby. I mean, that's <laughs> still still silly. Well, no, we I mean like it's silly away. because it's so so heightened and so over the top and so It's like, ridiculous. The, to- the, sure. the tone the tone is, you know, a disaster. Here, right? There like, is also something real The Mountie does also, you know, once Northstar comes out, the Mountie's like he then goes into a conversation which is maybe the most loaded conversation they have, which is like, mm, oh, well, sure. then why didn't you come out earlier? And that representation would have meant a lot and, and it would have been important. And that's actually like probably the trickiest thing for them to talk about. I think, again, they don't make any major statements. North Star defends his rationale, essentially. But it's like it's fairly well done. It's not too heavy. It, it's a very the whole issue. I mean, I think to say it's not ham fisted would be tremendously wrong. I mean, it's yes, very right. much like, hey, this is the big North Star's coming out as gay issue. It everything about the their actions reads that way. But the actual dialogue, I mean, I'm not gonna sit here and say like it's a masterclass, but it's it doesn't make me cringe and I it's the type of yeah. issue that I thought yeah, yeah. would. Um, yeah, the actual plotting is the so, silly part, like the the fight yeah. and the you know, the heightened emotions, but the actual like dialogue and conversation between the two, I'm more or less like, yeah, I think it, it generally like you know, like I said, I I think like it's anger is in the right direction, it's on the right team. And it's, you know, it, and I actually kind of like that conversation of, you know, yeah. saying, like, North yeah, Star, same. You, like, do you have a responsibility of, like, coming out as a public figure for people to look up to? And North Star, like, not, and it not being like, yes, he does, because it's more complicated right. than that. Like, he doesn't, right. he doesn't have to, but, like, you know, there there is something to that. So. They're talking about the nuance in it. I mean, the fact that Marvel felt comfortable running that section in their Plied Anthology in June 2021 does yeah. actually say something to the fact that this holds up reasonably well. Yeah. I um, saw that, and, and that, again, that actually surprised me, yeah, before I read it. Yeah. That surprised it, me. It, yeah, same. There. Same. Yeah. I mean, I think, too, like, you know, kind of what I was getting at earlier, and I don't think I articulated it very well, but essentially, and then, okay, so this happens, good. You can't take it as a victory lap for Marvel, because from here, Marvel then goes to almost never talk about that, mm-hmm. not really mm-hmm. deal with it, not have an increased presence of queer characters you know what i mean so like the thing happens and then it's years and years of slow glacial progress you know up until the point where we are now where obviously some changes and some progress and just culturally and socially and that's reflected in marvel comics so don't overstate this being like you know the the dam breaking and marvel all of a sudden saying yes it's safe for gay characters in the marvel universe um but it is nonetheless an important moment i mean i think too to my knowledge, they're the first of themselves in DC to have an openly gay character as well. So it's no, like there that, that is that John Byrne thing I was saying. I'm pretty sure that came before this, where like Maggie Sawyer, is that Maggie Sawyer? The... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Like okay. she she comes before. I take that back it, then. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm I'm almost positive that was like 88, 89, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I I think that's actually okay. quite quite good as well. Um, All right. So let's talk then. Our, our yeah. or do you have any final thoughts on? Nope. Nope. That's uh that's it. I, Oh, actually, uh, the best relationship I've seen uh, North Star in is the Ultimate comics. He's uh, he's dating Colossus, and actually, actually, like a pretty good, pretty good, like gay relationship there, where it's just like, yeah, they're just dating, and it's not like full of like they're not constantly under you know being like harassed and discriminated for it. Like once once they become a couple, it's more or less just like yeah, they're just another couple on the team, and it's uh, they're pretty cute together. So um, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad yeah. you said that because that reminds me. Uh, I really like North Star in Astonishing X-Men, written by Marjorie Liu, circa 2011-2012. And the most I've ever liked the character is in the current ongoing 
X Factor, written by Leah Williams with David Baldion. Um, there's been a major North Star renaissance since then. Because that, that's actually one of the trickier things with this coming out story, too, is like, I really dislike North Star in Alpha Flight up to this point. He's very, he's very much Quicksilver, but even less interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And yeah, yeah. I think he's a, he's a hard, he was a very hard character for me to yeah. like. And I think yeah. there's been a lot of work in the last decade where I'm like, oh, I actually, I'm actually really interested in this character. Like, I like him a lot more than Quicksilver at this point, which I would not have yeah. said circa 1992. I, I liked, I always liked his relationship with the sister. Um, but that is the best thing about him. Right. So. Yeah, agreed. Um, okay, so this is a, a Patreon backer demand from Dustin. Uh, Dustin in the Slack. He's a excellent, excellent Slack member. He's a, We're going to be hearing him on one of the bonus listener episodes. He's bringing some, uh, actually speaking of One Piece, we're going to be reading some like um, Aichiro Oda. I'm not positive I got his first name right. Like before One Piece, some of his comics from before One Piece. So go check out uh, me talking to Dustin on one of our... Um, bonus listener episodes but he brought today excalibur number 50 and i read this today and i immediately went to the slack and tagged dustin and said dustin why'd you do it why'd you do it dustin because uh not sure why i <laughs> just read this comic uh his answer is that it is the culmination oh, wait 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 before you tell me before you tell me let me guess let me guess okay um his answer was because this <laughs> perfectly summarizes Every everything you that Alex Excalibur is about for fifty issues is perfectly summarized in this giant size spectacular. That was his answer. His answer was that it culminates, or it like it, it is the yeah, culmination of the last twenty five issues because we haven't read anything since Excalibur twenty five, and this okay, is kind of okay. like Not this wraps off. up this story arc, right? And this is like yeah, kind yeah. Of the end of an era before I, I don't know if Alan Davis leaves or not. Um, but he was saying, like, this is kind of, so. you know, he, he wanted to put a, <laughs> he basically was trying to, like, revise your list and just being like, I wanted to put a bow on uh, on Excalibur. And what we on Alan Davis club. Excalibur? Yeah, yeah it I mean, is, I like, I like too... Alan Davis's energy. I like his designs. I like the fun that he's having with Excalibur. I'm just not in on it. You know, it's one of those well, things it, where, it, like, at I'm this very much aware. Especially. <laughs> like, we, we, we're so far... It, yeah, Alan Davis does a couple more issues, I guess. Th- at this point, we're so far removed from... Like, we just haven't read any for so long, and this is so clearly, like, so much has happened that uh, this was not... <laughs> it wasn't really an enjoyable reading experience. On top of, yeah, I'm, you know, middling on Excalibur at best. Um, I guess I liked some of those earlier ones, but I never was in love with it. Um, so it's mostly confusing. It was confusing to me, despite I started to read it, was confused went to the Marvel fandom wiki page, read the like very detailed synopsis just so I would be like, all right, well, so I know what's going on. Then went and read the whole thing. Still kind of didn't really follow most of what was happening, but it, it's like, the I Phoenix think I, Force I really fighting... appreciate, go ahead, go ahead with the oh. Phoenix Force stuff. Oh, f- fighting this guy named Necrom who's trying to steal her power. That's like the big thrust here is that Rachel Summers and Rachel Summers like pours the Phoenix Force into this entity that like can't deal with it and then explodes and Rachel Summers is in I think doesn't have the Phoenix Force anymore, and maybe uh, is like in a coma at the end of this. Oh, and Brian, Brian Braddock gets so big. That's the best part of this. Issue. <laughs> that is the best part. Yeah, gets all supercharged, <laughs> and it's so funny. He's so chunky, but his head doesn't get any bigger. So he's got this enormous Hulk body, but this tiny little head and neck. It's a great design. It's really really funny. Um, and then they destroy yeah. the lighthouse, which is like uh. 
a connection between all the different like worlds so that they won't be able to like zap between worlds again or something. I don't know. Something like that. Excalibur makes me really appreciate the works of Jim Starlin and his mm. Marvel Cosmic oh, Vision because yeah, it is so point. easy to get tremendously lost in the metaphysics and just the sort of unknowable nature of multiverses and galaxies and cosmos. And Alan Davis, for all of his talent, is just not on Starlin's level as a clear storyteller. Um, I think this issue and, and Excalibur as a whole, because it is very much a summation of what the brand has been, it just gets lost in the weeds so often. Yep. And there are these fun, funny moments of giant Brian Braddock, for example. Um, you know, Rachel Summers' journey as the Phoenix, I do think is interesting. There's nuggets of interesting stuff happening. I mean, all the the alien side players that Excalibur is united with is at this point, like Kylan or Cerise. Like, these are interesting figures in Marvel history who, you know, certainly could pop up again any day now and, and be in interesting comics. Um, but I just think for, it's like, you know, it's that crossover between a Jim Starlin, Adam Warlock cosmic saga, and like DC's Crisis on Infinite Earths, but just with so little to ground you in like in stakes in in character um i it just never works for me and again it's one of those things where like i know there's people who are in on oh yeah like Dustin, the excalibur like experience in, 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 and are loving it yeah he's just drawn to excalibur and alan davis specifically and really likes it so you know like, yeah no it's, it's are... very um it's very uh an acquired taste i suppose and it's, sure. it's definitely a taste i have never acquired despite my intentions i mean I, you know it's funny too because like alan davis is famously like one of the best nightcrawler artists of all time nightcrawler is my favorite x-men character you know one of my straight up favorite marvel characters of all time yet when i read excalibur i so rarely i'm like oh sweet nightcrawler book like it just I, it so rarely gives me that I, I, I like i so i i would say like character actually works for me in general like with alan davis i think he's got a good voice for characters um it's it's the plotting and the world building stuff that just like he doesn't like where jim starlin just has that perfect control where you were just like you, you feel like you're being carried along when somebody who's like uh, you know just in the hands of somebody who's really confident in what kind of a story they're telling and like what you need to know what you don't need to know like you know about his like world building like some of it doesn't make sense but he just like brushes it aside and you don't need to know that and you don't even think about that you don't need to know that whereas yeah, this is right way too bogged down in all the details that aren't important and you just like you get really sucked up because it's also mixing with the silly yeah yeah, that's Starlin's well, I'm, person's a very good... I'm incredible. I mean, Starlin's a, you know, it's a tough comp, right, for oh, careers well, of, of this era. Yeah. Like, most yeah. people are not on Jim Starlin's level at yeah. Cosmic right. Storytelling. I get that. Um, yeah. But it's, there's just, like, with, with Davis's storytelling here in Excalibur, I think one of the big problems is, like, I'm very willing to roll with punches. You know, I read a bazillion comics. Like, I, I generally have a good feel Humble for Frank. the tropes and, and for cosmic science and multiverses. Like, I am willing to roll with the punches. I think one of the big problems then though is if I roll with the cosmic stuff that I don't really get, what who's driving it? And when the villain is Necrom and it's heavily driven by Roma and Merlin, like these are just characters that I've never found that investing, you know? Um like I I'm more interested in Opal Luna Saturnine who gets like no moments in this comic. Uh so I I think it kind of fails to and it does this whole big... It, it actually feels a lot like a Bronze Age 70s comic. Um, like, I don't know, like Merv Wolfman writing Thor or something, where it's like 
this big history of Merlin and Necrom and, and their history. And it's all this stuff where it's like just kind of fill in the space to tell, you know, a big to, to try to give you some rationale for why these characters have a history together. But it's like we're on Excalibur 50. If that wasn't established by now as a core component of the series, then why am I going to yeah. care at this point? Um, and I just, I don't know, Merlin and, and Roma for me are like, because Roma pops up all over the place as, you know, the the individual who saves the X-Men all the time and shows up in Excalibur. Like, I'm I'm consistently just way more interested in the Captain Britain Corps, and I guess you get kind of an explanation for their origins here by Merlin, but it's, even that, I'm just like, generally disinterested in um so i don't know i don't want to yeah like when i watch this i'm like oh when when are they gonna break up so kitty pride and nightcrawler can come back (laughs) so they're like yeah right i mean that's like all i'm watching this for yeah well and and that's the funny thing is like i you know when you when you mentioned the fact that you missed them in x-men um or you were Mm -hmm. you were like wondering why they weren't there i was like oh man like jim lee nightcrawler i would have loved that i would have loved that that would have been so fun design wise and uh really i for me it's like these characters are trapped in purgatory and excalibur um i I really do feel (laughs) that way you know it's like i just there are there are like a decade plus (laughs) of of kitty pride and nightclub stuff where i'm just like well i guess i just don't care as much about what's happening to them because they're trapped inside excalibur um and i don't know it's kind of it's just this series that i have like there's just something i'm missing i guess uh in terms of what it is um, about so why more, I should be more, more in this comic, and I, I should say I have read. I I did not just jump into Fifty Cold. Okay, I mean I've been doing. Oh, okay. uh, I, oh, I do okay. a lot of X Men reading, and I, I you know I try to read basically anything X related year by year as we go through them. Um, so I've read a lot of the build. Like I'm not totally baffled, like I said, by Kylan or by Cerise showing up here. Um, yeah, and that really didn't more, help. Like I was, yeah. <laughs> that didn't help. That actually probably made it worse. So <laughs> right. you know, yeah. Well, yeah well, I, so what we're getting at is, uh, you know. You disappointed us, Dustin. Do better. Be best. Um, we're, well, I, I would like to, you know, Dustin and, and members of the keep, Slack. Keep and my giving us community. money and do better next time is what I'm saying. Keep supporting us. Yeah. Keep supporting us. And and uh, and, and, def- and explain yourself. Um, I mean, step, step up <laughs> to, to, to Johannes' level, right? Squirrel Girl? Warlock in the... Johannes nailed... Johannes, I think that was the best Slack uh, issue recommendation we may ever get. Because that, honestly, it's weird that I didn't already have that. Um, yeah, it was, yeah. And, uh, and, and a million percent, that was so fun to read. But yeah, no, just not, not an Excalibur This is fan. me now, like, you know, now it, it's, it's like the parent pitting their kids against each other. Now I'm just like, I'm pitting our Slack members against each other to, uh, you know, right. for our affection on the show. Yeah. Oh, no, we, we have strong favorites. But no, seriously, <laughs> thanks so much for your support, Dustin. Uh, it's much appreciated. Um, I, you know, again, it's, it's like, I, well, actually, you know, the one thing I do like, about this issue, I should say, is it does, one thing Alan Davis does a nice job of throughout his run is he throws it back to Days of Future Past in some interesting ways. Um, he brings up the relationship, but and he builds on the relationship between the older Cape Pride of the future um, and Rachel Summers as a hound. I really like the stuff and the work he does there with Days of, Fu- Days of Future Past. That happens over the span of a handful of issues. It's not just here mm-hmm. in 50. Um, those threads I find pretty compelling. Uh, but yeah, when you get into the full, you know, it's funny too because like in my head, I like multiverse stories, but actually, 
<laughs> when oh, you see, sit I'm... down and try to read them in the Marvel Universe, are they ever that good? And that's kind of a hard question you, to answer. You, you've said that a lot about multiverse and like that you're like you're excited about the MCU, you know, introducing a multiverse. And for me, yeah, I'm yeah. like, nah, not really. Like it, it's never a draw for me because I think like it's really I mean, here's easy the... to lo- lose stakes in it, you know, it's really easy to you yeah. Uh, well, it's, I don't think it's—I don't think you lose writing. the stakes so much as you you magnify or you you overextend them in such well, a way exactly. where it's yes. like you right. know like yeah. like losing this planet is already mind-boggling enough. Losing fifty-two of them, I don't know. <laughs> like, and yeah. I think like like Grant Morrison's multiversity, very good. Like it a lot. Good multiverse story. Um, I like DC Metal a lot. Good good multiverse story on the DC side. Into the Spider Verse. Great use of the multiverse, okay? Yeah, totally. um, yeah, yeah. The Sony there, Animated there Series. So, like, there are plenty of examples, but I do think when comics often have the, especially ongoing comics, have the tendency to really, really sort of overdo the whole, like, I don't know, the whole crisis on Infinite Earths of it all, and to really try to explain it with these giant cosmic concepts, but then that they never ground as successfully as Starlin's cosmic pantheon, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I think you just, I think it's more interesting to spend time with characters and people and worlds of a multiverse than it is to take the 60,000 foot view and look at all the planets lined up in a, a weird construction of what a multiverse looks like from outside, I guess is yeah. where I net out. Yeah, totally. It's the, you know, like you said, like the stakes get overwhelmed, right? It's the same, you know, you get fatigued of like the multiverse is in danger. Well, I can't even... Act, like I literally actually don't have any conception of what that means. So right, you know, right. Like we, we, we actually we just talked about this in uh, the Hulk issues, where like the most compelling fight in like all those Hulk things was three normal human women with a kitchen knife. Way more than all of the huge Hulk <laughs> battles mm. with a bunch of like super arid Hulk people, because it was like, well, I get it. Someone can get hurt. It's a knife, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's so easy to to lose track. I mean. Yeah, well, we're, we're running long, so I don't need to circle back. But it, it's a little what I was talking about with the uh, the X Men Omega Red issues, where you know, like I, I felt that same kind of idea, you know, on, on a smaller scale. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I think that's gonna do it. Uh, we've got Executioner song coming up. I think I actually I don't know what it's about really, except for strife, and I didn't really see any lead in. And what we read this time, or X Factor last episode, into this, so I don't know. It'll be interesting to no, see. I really don't no, no, really there's a little separation conception. of months of issues. Um, it's you'll not get Mojoverse, it. is it? Right? You'll get it when you read Cable, Blood, and Metal, number one to number two. Okay, but it's not those. Mojo, <laughs> it's not be... Mojoverse, right? What we that we saw those little Mojoverse winks because I was not you know, excited about that. I had totally forgotten that Mojoverse stuff was even in those X Men issues. Um, and I won't. I will not spoil it for you. I will not tell All you whether right. or not it's Mojoverse. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, speaking of not being excited by a multiverse story, Mojoverse. I could really event. send you into a, a spiral of despair if I told you, yes, it is heavily Mojoverse. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, everybody, for listening. This is My Marvelous Year. Uh, you can find ways to support the show over on patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear or rate and review on iTunes. I'm Dave. You can find my stuff at Comic Book Herald. He's Zach. You can find him for My Marvelous Year at My Marvelous Year on social. Uh, you can write to us at mymarvelousyear at gmail.com. Music for the show is by Disaster Peace. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been 1992 Part 5. We'll see you next year. See you next year. Uh